I V M. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Musafir Stories, India's very own travel podcast, where each week we share the journey of travelers in their own words and relive their experiences with you, our listeners. Hi guys, welcome to a brand new episode of the Musafir Stories. Hope you're all well and keeping safe. A very warm welcome to any new listeners who are tuning in to the podcast for the first time. The Musafir Stories is a travel podcast exploring places in India through engaging conversations with travelers. So get ready to vicariously discover India one place at a time. On today's episode, we talk to a returning guest, Tanisha Gwen, who logs her travels on her Instagram page called Steps and Streets. This time, she takes us to a coastal district in Maharashtra, but goes beyond just the beaches and the forts and shares some fascinating stories of the diversity of the region. Sit back and enjoy as we find out more about this beautiful paradise in Maharashtra. So with that introduction, we'd love to welcome back Tanisha Gwen from Steps and Streets. For those of you wondering, Tanisha has already been with us in a previous episode. She did a wonderful job covering the border town of Merrick. So, Tanisha, thank you so much and welcome back to the Muzaffar Stories. Thank you for that wonderful welcome and it's lovely to be back here again and talk about yet another interesting journey that I had. Thank you. Thank you, Tanisha. We are really eagerly looking forward to where you're taking us to. Um, but for first-time listeners, uh, I did give a brief intro, but uh, if you'd like to tell a little bit more about yourself, your travel style, and also how you document your uh, travel experiences, please do so, Tanisha. Just a quick intro about yourself. So, hi, everyone. Like you all know, my name is Tanisha Gwen. I am based out of Mumbai. I enjoy traveling and I enjoy going to offbeat places specifically places that are rich in history and culture speaking of which today we'll be covering a very interesting journey that i had embarked upon we are going to cover the western coast of india uh, one of the districts in the konkan and it's the raigad district so we'll be looking at different coastal towns very close to mumbai Uh, which you can you know cover in maybe over the weekend or if you wish to travel slow you can take it slow and spend a week there if this place has a lot of things to explore and uh, yeah that is what uh, you know i would suggest wonderful so the district of raigad it is and uh, i'm always happy and excited to cover places uh, in maharashtra maharashtra is almost like a pandora's box to me each time i uh discuss a place with a new traveler on the show uh, it like gives me so much learning and also uh, happy coincidence that a lot of our listeners also happen to be from the state of maharashtra so really really looking forward to this and uh, raigad district uh, like i mentioned is also very close to uh, mumbai so that way for weekend trips or road trips this is a perfect getaway at the same time also being quite offbeat right it's not as uh, Uh, populated as some of the uh, other places uh, in and around Mumbai are. Uh, so let's jump into this by starting off with uh, when is a good time to travel? So uh, speaking of which, you the like the best time would be uh, mm-hmm. 
in the rains if you want to take a road trip the roads mm-hmm. are fairly decent uh, you can definitely cover it during the monsoon and uh, the winter months yes definitely yeah um, being the coast it could get a little hot and sultry during the summer so monsoons and winters are a good time uh, now in terms of access and getting to these places i know you mentioned that uh, road trip is easily doable uh, but just in terms of getting there uh, how did you uh, cover this trip so i covered this trip in the roro service that has recently started so that cut short the travel time by good 3 hours each way so uh, that was very convenient and that is how we could manage to cover a lot of these places in just a day okay that's brilliant and the stroller service that you refer to basically the roll on roll off uh, ferry tub service right where you could just yes. get on to the ferry with your like vehicle yes. with your two wheeler car whatever that is and right. uh, just uh, hop off at the uh near Strati and uh, wherever you have to get off to and <laughs> seamlessly drive away um beautiful so thank you for setting that context and just in terms of the distance traveled and also before we get into the specifics do you want a high level touch upon the places we are going to cover today right so within raigarh district uh, we will start with alibag mm-hmm. then uh, we will cover revdanda then we would be looking at the sea forts of korlai the coastal town of korlai uh, murud and uh, the nearby villages brilliant so uh, even in terms of dif- uh, distance like uh, alibag is like barely 100 kilometers i think from mumbai and obviously like taking the ferry will just make even that bit easier because you're you don't have to drive that distance but uh, let's start off with uh, alibag and give us a little bit of a sense in terms of um, what you were seeing there and also what was your intention when you uh, started off the trip in terms of uh, covering the different places uh, obviously in terms of the options there's uh, definitely the beaches there's the coastal forts that there are there's rich history etc what were you looking to get out of the trip I had first visited Revdanda when I was uh, you know just 17 years old and it was one of my first solo trips in Maharashtra and uh, back then uh, I was very intrigued with what I found like the beaches were solitary there were not many people who knew about these towns the temples were very different in terms of architecture there's a lot of craze about uh, you know the coastal state of goa but uh, these beaches that lie very close to mumbai are not that uh, covered however things changed now that it's 2022 and um, some of these beaches have definitely become way more popular than the rest um, mm. that, but most tourists who go to alibag don't really know about the cultural side to it and uh like people going from mumbai or pune alibag is just a weekend destination it's just a mm-hmm. place where you go to relax but this place has so many stories to unfold and uh, when i read about it and when i saw about uh when i saw the sea fort i got very uh, interested in knowing how this fort came up to be here what's the story like and i did briefly spend Uh, a few years uh, of my childhood in Vasai, which is a city, sorry, a town in the outskirts of Mumbai. So Vasai has a very rich Portuguese history, and sure. uh, when I read about it, I realized, oh, these are all connected. Like the fort right. in Rave Tanda, the fort in Kolai, uh, 
the Munda history, these are all somewhere interlinked to the Portuguese and I was even more fascinated. So, you know, like bits and pieces of my travels from the past led me to cover this uh, beautiful journey that I did. And when I started reading about it, I was all the more fascinated as to, oh, I just knew about the Portuguese, then we have the African origin rulers, and then there are the Britishers, then, you know, there are history of uh, having found Dutch cannons inside the Murad Fort. So I was like, wow, this place is uh, very exciting. You know, so yeah. this is the backstory that led me to actually travel to this place and look at it from this historical lens. Yeah, <laughs> very, very exciting and a lot of things to uncover, like you said. Uh, but yeah, let's start one by one and start off with Alibag. Uh, what are the different kinds of things that and stories that you uh, discovered, uncovered that uh, left you very surprised um, in, uh, in Alibag? So Alibag, uh, like we know, like I told you, it's a popular weekend destination. But historically, it's a, a very interesting place. So uh, starting with the name... Uh, First of all, so Alibag mm. came to be known as uh, Alibag because there was a rich uh, person named Ali who owned a lot of uh, coconut groves, orchards uh, in the coastal town. And uh, he did a lot of uh, public welfare as well by building uh, wells for public use. And people were fond of uh, this person. And that's how they fondly started calling the place uh, Ali Chi Bag. So, mm. you know, in Marathi, that tra- literally translates to Ali's uh, garden. So, mm-hmm. that's how the name came to be known as Ali Bag. And uh, I didn't know that uh, Ali Bag and the nearby towns uh, had this kind of a story where, you know, back in, uh, say, 2200 years ago, uh, a ship got shipwrecked you know uh, that had seven couples traveling from Israel and um, it was in the beaches of Nagao. Uh, I happened to visit Nagao when I was traveling solo to Rave Danda and what Nagao looked today is obviously very different but I had no clue that this is how the Bene Israeli community uh, came to existence in Alibab, like that beach is where they got shipwrecked and they met the uh, local Koli community. Then they mm-hmm. started uh, working with them, you know, as oil pressers to oil the ships. And the, some families of the community stayed there since. So mm-hmm. now in Alibag, like if you travel close to it, there are two synagogues. Uh, I happened to visit one which is close to Ravdanda. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very interesting to see that you found you find these uh, houses that has the Star of David, uh, mm-hmm. which is an important religious symbol in Judaism. And right. you meet people who speak Hebrew and uh, a mix of Marathi as well. They don't mm-hmm. have a Creole as such that I'm aware of, but they... Mm-hmm. But I do know that they speak Hebrew and Marathi. Um, they, they are very much Maharashtrian in the lifestyle they lead, but the faith is intact in Judaism. That's how the Pene Israeli community came into being in Alibag. And uh, yeah. apart from that, there are some forts, uh, very offbeat, called the Kolaba Fort, which was mm-hmm. used as the... Uh, base of Maratha Navy initially. I could not 
uh, get to visit the place but i did read about it and i definitely want to try visiting it in that in my next visit yeah some very interesting places and uh, yeah this connection to the beni israeli jews basically right that dates back to over 2000 years ago that is also quite fascinating and uh, yeah even the etymology of the name right nobody would have thought that this actually ties back to a jewish name and yeah even in my research i, I came across that it's um, called eli or eli eli uh, yeah. right yeah, yeah so yeah. i think that's just a Uh, that's how Ali uh, it came to be known as Ali Bag, maybe because of the local pronunciations as well of the Marathi or the Koli folks. There is there more to Ali Bag that you did, or uh, from this point you started uh, going uh, southward towards Ravdanda? Yes, of uh, like we moved to Ravdanda in the south. Whenever I visit Ravdanda, I always like going to this particular temple. which is built in beautiful konkani architecture it's called the rameshwar temple mm-hmm. uh, then obviously the synagogue falls somewhere between alibagh and ravdanda it's the bethel synagogue mm-hmm. and very close to the rameshwar temple is the kanhaji angre memorial that i pay a visit to whenever i'm in the vicinity okay. i uh, this time i did a very short walk around the town of ravdanda mm-hmm. and uh, definitely the fort and the beach yeah uh, let's talk a little bit more about the temple because even while i was looking up um, in preparation for this episode um this is one of the things that really stood out from your trip and even in general uh, from the temples that have uh, come across right in this region the rameshwar temple uh, obviously it has uh, it has influences of konkani architecture but even then it seems like very very unique in terms of how colorful it is as well as uh, the interiors also right for example do you want to touch upon those things like uh, some of the unique things you also noticed while visiting the temple i like the temple specifically because it's a good mix of uh, vernacular architecture hmm. what you said konkani architecture and uh it's it, the colors used are very bright and they are yeah. very modern day and it's very well maintained like the main center of the temple still has the old uh, architecture intact very well mm-hmm. maintained with the arches with the pillars that you see inside uh the yeah. manglo tiles uh, it has the wooden pillars and very intricate details on those pillars then there yep. is the deep sum very light uh, candles or diyas uh, during the festival at the porch you see that the temple opens up to a very big kund mm-hmm. a very clear water very well maintained again just visiting one of these temples is a very uh, grounding experience and yep. uh, for me it's like a good mix a uh, very interesting cultural mix so i make sure that i visit the synagogue i visit the temple and i visit the sea forts so when you are doing it with curiosity and with interest to know the place then you do feel connected to the place not necessarily in a religious way but by just uh, reminding yourself that this place was really something back in the day no definitely Uh, apart from all of these beautiful things that you called out <clears throat> about the architecture one of the things um, that stood out for me and i loved was also the interiors right uh, right from the chandeliers to the 
tiles also, right? The flooring. It was really, really beautiful. Thank you so much for uh, calling that out and covering that. Um, now, in terms of the fort that you were referring to as well in, in um, Ravenda, right? Uh, the fort was also fairly uh, stand out, I would say, in terms of how it was the ruins of the fort, if I may. Do you want to highlight some of the features of the fort and what you saw in the Ravenda fort? So, uh, speaking of Ravdanda Fort, it's a sea fort. Again, dates mm-hmm. back to the time when Portuguese rule was uh, rule was at its peak. So, there's not much to see in the fort. Like, it's in a very dilapidated condition and uh, it's basically more like ruin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are two things that really stand out. One is the bell tower. And mm-hmm. another thing is the uh, is the ruins of a church that once was in the day back in the day. So uh, when you drive through the town of uh, Ravdanda, you see there are these uh, coconut groves. Uh, there's this beautiful sea breeze that flows, and uh, then you enter this uh, like you go d- deeper into the town and you see the fortification. Uh, so it's like you drive from the fort, like within right. the fort. Yeah. And the sea fort is like the, like if you walk deeper inside the fort, so you have to park your car at some point, you visit the bell tower and then you see that the fort opens up to this uh, wide stretch of the sea. So uh, even today when you drive through the fort walls of Ravdanda, you'll see there is a mention of uh, the Portuguese crest in one of the places. You see Mm -hmm. there are certain things written in Portuguese. So, Ravdanda back in the day was uh, mostly referred to as Chol, C-H-A-U-L, mm-hmm. Chol. So, most people still uh, call it as Chol. A lot of people call it as Ravdanda. So, uh, I'm not sure when the name changed and what what brought that to, into being. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it used to be a very important port town and people living in Chaul were uh, known to be wealthy. They, like there are uh, evidences that speak that uh, people who lived in Chaul always wore expensive silks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, it was very rich in trade in terms of horses, oxen, cows. And uh, because of its uh, good prominence with the Middle East, uh, a lot of Egyptian as well as uh, Middle East and Europe. So a lot of Egyptian and Venetian ships also would uh, come to mm-hmm. these uh, seaports. Yeah, I think uh, to your point, it uh, seemed to be like a very like a place of importance in terms of the port there, and that's why they built the fortification around it to protect their shipments that were coming into the port, right? Uh, And I think the beauty just gets amplified in monsoon especially and uh, I'm sure for a lot of photographers this is like heaven, right? Uh, The ruins with the moss and the coconut groves like you said uh, obviously with the sea in the background it's just so beautiful I could just imagine the sea breeze uh, like kind of hitting your uh, face and your hair and just just a beautiful time to visit during the monsoons um, now in terms of uh, continuing the journey uh, where to from uh, Ravdanda like we covered a couple of places here the historic con- uh, connections to the place where next to from here so after Ravdanda uh, we would be heading to Korlai which is uh, also a sea fort but it's on the uh, top of a hill 
इट्स अगेन नॉट मोर देन ट्वेंटी उटसाइड But now things have changed because uh, Rivdanda has gained a lot of popularity of late, especially mm-hmm. for the Christmas parties that happen uh, by the beach. Uh, so there is a lot of uh, you know irresponsible tourism that comes into picture, and Kodlai also is gaining popularity, but not for the reasons it should. So mm-hmm. personally, why I like Kodlai is because. Um, Uh, when I read more about it, I realized that it's the only Portuguese-speaking village of India, and mm. that is that took a while to sink in, right? So I was like, oh wow, this is uh, very fascinating to know about. So in the village, when you visit the village, they speak a Creole. So a Creole is a hybrid language, which mm-hmm. is a mix of uh, Portuguese and Marathi. It's called Christi. Okay. Uh, so Christi is the language, uh, which is a Creole, and uh, Kodlai again has a very interesting mix. If you go in the village, like a part of the population of the Portuguese who once ruled in that area, and mm-hmm. then there are the Muslims and the Koli community. If you look at the village, it's like uh, divided in three tiers, and uh, the the Portuguese community is the one that speaks this uh, Creole called Christi. Okay. So, uh, and then speaking of the fort, the fort is an easy, uh, fairly easy hike. Uh, during the monsoons, I would not recommend hiking all the way up to the fort. It might be risky, uh, mm-hmm. and even the locals uh, don't allow people to visit it. But you can definitely go to the base, enjoy the view, and then you can drive back. However, in the winter months, uh, it's fairly better to try a hike. It does not take more than twenty to twenty-five minutes maximum. Mm-hmm. The views are breathtaking. So when you go at the top of the fort, you see that uh, you see the uh, coastal stretch of Rivdanda, mm-hmm. and uh, when the Portuguese started losing control, Kodlai and Rivdanda were the only two forts that they still had control over. Um, so historically, that way, these forts were very important for the Portuguese um, rulers. Yeah, yeah uh, very different from let's say uh, Rivdanda fort that you visited, right? That's beach facing and uh, more built as a. fortification to protect the port but this one is more on the hilltop so in terms of views breathtaking like you said with the uh, views of the uh, coastline and um, i think a couple of interesting things i also came across while looking at the christi or the portuguese creole that you mentioned right the people who speak this hybrid language basically um, like someone of uh, digging where it led me to was that um, as 
the Portuguese, like you mentioned as well, as the Portuguese started to lose power and places that they were ruling, initially it spread all the way across the coast, right? Right from here till uh, Dio and Daman in yes. Gujarat. So it spread all the way across. But as their uh, power started to decline, most of them basically left and they moved and consolidated in Goa, right? Because in Goa, they were there until like uh, the late 1900s. So when they left, the, some of the locals, so, I mean, some of the Portuguese uh, soldiers and um, administrators who had married into the locals, they stayed back in uh, places like this, um, places like Corlai, and they're the ones who basically preserved and uh, came up with that hybrid uh, kind of language. And also the uh, one of the factors that also helped conserve and preserve this language was that uh, the area is also a little bit cut off, right? It's cut off by the Ravdanda Creek, so it's not easily accessible to the mainland. Uh, up until like uh, only in 1980s is when like a bridge was built for a permanent connection to the mainland, right? So up until then it was fairly isolated community and that's how the language grew like literally over a uh, couple of hundred years at least, right? Two, three hundred years at um, has uh, lived and survived and even today you see that language when you visit the fort um, like people speaking that language so that was kind of really fascinating for me also to know that this is kindly uh, this is kind of gone through the grind because otherwise like you mentioned there's Muslims living there the Konkani Muslims there's the uh, Koli community obviously and the Marathi speaking community so uh, in spite all of the influences they've still kind of maintained the language which is uh, <laughs> just quite surprising right so it, it was good and very unique uh, to kind of find this kind of uh, language in india and like you mentioned i think this is probably one of the few or the only creole that you can find in india right so um, yes yeah some some very interesting facts and uh, glad that you got a, ch a chance to cover this place a little bit more closely um, where next to from here we touched upon a couple of uh, very uh, unique stories in Korlai. Uh, what next Tanisha? So the next place that we explored was uh, Murut. Uh, it's popularly known as Murut Janjira. And uh, along the drive, you do come across this uh, palace, which comes, mm. like, which appears to be abandoned, but it is not. And when you look closer and when you read about it, you come to know that this was uh, the palace of the African origin rulers called the Siddhis. Mm. Mm -hmm. And um, the Siddhis played a very important role in the history of uh, Murud. And they ruled there for uh, around fi 500 years. Mm -hmm. So the palace came into being much later. But uh, prior to that, it was just the fort. And uh, people, like the fort was like a living town. People lived inside the fort because it has two uh, fresh water springs. So that made life in the fort very uh, much accessible. Mm -hmm. So the, the palace came much later and it's called the Ahmed Ganj Palace. It's a private property. It's still, I think it's the 14th generation of the Siddhi who owns the palace right now. So yes, after that you drive towards the main town of Murut come across very beautiful uh, homes, colourful homes. It's a scenic, quaint, coastal town. And uh, then we uh, cross the main town and go towards a village called Khokri. Mm -hmm. So Khokri is where you find the tombs of uh, 
these African origin rulers called the Siddhis. Mm. And uh, there are a lot of tombs in that area scattered, uh, of which the biggest tomb is of uh, Siddhi Surun Khan, okay. who uh, served as a command commander in the British uh, Navy. A very, very interesting connection. And what I uh, also saw in a little bit of reading up was basically these guys came in initially as um, mercenaries or soldiers, right? They would be commanders and stuff like that in armies. And slowly they grew in power. And um, obviously the first guy who became very powerful um, was this guy called as uh, Malik Amber, right? He right. had a very, very significant role to play. And eventually he went on to become, I think, the prime minister or something in the Ahmednagar Sultanate. Again, um, the Ahmednagar part of uh, Maharashtra. So uh, that's, I think, the initial uh, way that they rose to power. And slowly, uh, right from, I think they began with the Bahamani Sultanates first working for them, then slowly uh, Bijapur Sultanate and then the Mughals. So they kept switching sides and basically became feudatories of whoever was in power. And that's how they continued to be in power. Uh, they right. were that way very shrewd, right? And that's how they could, over time, like I mentioned, I think like 400, 500 years, they ruled this place. So over time, they built, um, uh, I think, quite a powerful bastion here and uh, the, the region of Murujanjira and uh, even those tombs that you mentioned, um, they're, they're very beautiful, right? I mean, uh, maybe not as grand as uh, some of the others you see, uh, let's say in Rajasthan, places like that, but uh, Indo-Sassanic architecture and uh, very grand looking and same with the palace also, right, that you mentioned, the private property. Uh, that's also very beautiful but yeah the overall uh, connection and the theme that we have seen uh, in your travel across the coastline um, of different influences on the Konkan belt right right from again Portuguese to the Beni Israeli Jews to now the Sadis and uh, fascinating right so sometimes you don't tend to uh, pay or heed so much attention to this you just like brush it with oh Mughals rolled it or oh Marathas rolled it and then British came but if you look a little closer there's like <laughs> so many layers underneath so um, but yeah just a fascinating story of the Siddhis right and that also reminds me just uh, before I forget if um, some of you have visited Ahmedabad right there's a very popular mosque called the Siddhi Said Mosque right and uh, it has this beautiful lattice work and stuff like that um, um, I mean, it wasn't ruled by the Siddhis or anything, but it was, again, a Siddhi nobleman who actually commissioned the building of that structure, is what I understand. Uh, uh, just kind of draw, it helps you draw those connections also, right? Oh, it's the same people or um, members of that clan or that uh, community that actually moved across and set up base in other locations. And uh, if I'm not wrong, I think there's also some some Siddhi, some Siddhi community in some place in Karnataka, I may be wrong, yes. um, maybe I'm confusing between Karnataka and Gujarat, but yeah, they're, they're definitely still present in India. Uh, now, in terms of uh, other places or experiences to cover in Murud um, or places around the area, is there anything else you'd like to call out? Uh, yes, I would definitely like to speak about the Baobabs. Mm. So, uh, if you've seen the movie Madagascar, you might, <laughs> yes. you, you might be able to recall these uh, giant trees with mm -hmm. uh, wide trunks. Yep. So uh, they are called the Baobabs and you find them even in India and you find them along the, the Konkan coast in a lot of places. So there are a lot of them in Mumbai 
and I was very fascinated to find them in uh, near the Kukri to- tombs. Like there are mm-hmm. around uh, four five baobabs there in that area. A lot of like historians suspect that uh, these could come in with the African slaves that the Portuguese got in because the origin of baobabs is Africa. Right. So. Uh, yes, that's another very interesting thing to know. So whenever I am driving along the coast, I always keep an eye out for a baobab. And it's like my sweet spot. I really <laughs> like these trees. They stand out. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I mean, they're believed to like also live for a very long time, right? I, I yes. don't know, a few uh, like over a thousand years or something yes. is uh, what I remember re- re- reading that. And uh, also just a little uh, personal selfish connection. Uh, even in Bangalore, if somebody's uh, wanting to like check out a Baba tree, there's actually one in this uh, Lalbagh, Lalbagh Botanical Gardens. There is a Baba tree. So uh, ask oh, around wow. or uh, research around. <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably, yeah, in terms of the connection, I'm not very sure. But yeah, Lalbagh, uh, this garden has uh, plants and trees and species from all over the world. So I'm assuming they got this as well as a part of uh, well, that period. Uh, but yeah, just a little personal uh, no, but connection. It's as well. really fascinating. Like, I wasn't aware that there is a baobab in Bangalore. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting. And uh, in Africa also, yeah, like you mentioned, right? They, they're uh, originally from Africa, and uh, there it's uh, actually um, like taken very seriously. Also, it's almost like uh, they're uh, very, very the people when the tree dies. They almost treat it like a human death. They have like uh, very exclusive ceremonies and stuff like that they perform once the tree dies. So it's very revered in Africa just for the uh, amount of time it lives. And also a huge, right? I don't know like how big they are. The one in Bangalore is also not very big, but they can grow like very huge. The trunks can be huge. So that's another unique feature of these uh, Baba trees. I think they also have really um, over, you know, a lot of scientific uses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe it's because of that. Uh, mm-hmm. The ones that you spot in and around uh, Murut are at least a thousand years old. Yeah, another very uh, unique thing, I guess. Uh, so if you're around the region, if you're visiting the uh, Kokri tombs, the tombs of the Siddhis especially, you can check out some of the Baobab trees. Um, any any other experiences that we missed out on, Tanisha? Yes, uh, speaking of the coast, I would like to you know talk about the beaches. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of which, mostly people who come to Alibagh, often explore or often just uh, go to Nagao, Kihil beaches, which are very popular. Mm-hmm. But if you want to go offbeat, uh, you know, Kodlai is not as popular as it, as the, its other counterparts. Revdanda mm-hmm. uh, is quite popular, but, uh, you know, there are different times of the year where people don't really visit Revdanda. It's just become famous for all the uh, night, Christmas night parties and stuff. Uh, but during the day when you visit Rivdanda, it's different because you get to interact with the local fisher folk there. And uh, if you're keen on experiences like that, then that's again an interesting feat. Uh, then moving forward, uh, when you go to towards Kotlai uh, Murud, uh, the Kashid beach is again very popular, but most people don't go beyond that if they want to visit a beach. However, 
when you drive beyond kashir you will find these solitary beaches uh, like often uh, like uh, these narrow trodden paths and these by lanes lead to solitary beaches so we randomly happened to find one on our way uh, i am not sure what it's locally called but it was just a random beach that we walked up to we saw the sunset <laughs> very beautiful beach and uh, it was entirely to us there was literally no one no tourist just a couple of kids playing around so uh, and very clean so that's the best part of it and uh, if you go off beat you really do find places like these and you know the entire experience feels like a full circle Yeah, uh, I mean, duh, right? <laughs> we we're talking about the coast, and uh, we didn't touch yeah. on the beaches, but also, I think um, it's it's also a big compliment to you in terms of uh, the different types of experiences you uh, carved out for yourself as a part of that trip. That it wasn't just about the beaches, right? We barely spoke about the beaches, and still we talked about so many different things and so many different stories, and that's what's beautiful about travel. That's also as much about perspective as about uh, just seeing places right um right. you can uh, choose to focus on a thing or uh, on a niche and just go in a rabbit hole and discover so many wonderful things uh, about the place uh, about the connections about the people so uh, thank you so much again thank well, firstly thanks for coming back uh, thanks for being nice enough to come back and uh, indulge us and uh, our listeners tanisha and secondly uh thank you again for uh just covering this very very um beautiful part of the country and it's uh, such a melting pot i mean we tend to use the word melting pot very loosely but in this case yes. we literally saw an example of it right right from the nature aspect of it right from the beaches to the mangroves to the ghats right the konkan coast itself yes. and the people right even people from all of these different origins uh literally living uh surviving and ruling and uh being a part of this subcontinent uh, right from the portuguese to the siddhis to the beni israeli jews marathas kolis arabs <laughs> romans yes. i don't know how many uh, yeah. national how many like ethnicities also we touched right so it's just so fascinating and uh, that's uh, that's the great part about travel it um, just uh, who was this yeah ibn batuta like he said right it uh, makes you speechless then it turns yes. you into a storyteller and i think right. it's it's uh, just a validation of that same statement and uh, thank you again thank you for coming back to the musafir stories and in terms of people who are looking to uh, follow your work follow your travels what's the best way of doing that tanisha you can follow my travel page it's called steps and streets on instagram Okay. That is where you can reach out. Uh, also, uh, a part of this trip, uh, I came to know about, uh, like the a part of the trip that I came to know about was from a tourism company called Swadesi, which mm-hmm. runs these cultural and immersive tours, specifically focused on responsible tourism. So, if you're keen, maybe you can check out their Instagram page. It's uh, Swadesi. So S W A D E S. W-E. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for calling that out. We'll make sure to include uh, both Swadeshi's Instagram handle as well as your Instagram handle, right? So that way, listeners can uh, follow and keep up with the stories. And uh, thank you again for being on the Musafir Stories, and we look forward to having you back very soon. Thank you once again, Musafir Stories.
That was yet another great episode on the Musafir Stories. Make sure to show us some love by sharing the podcast with your friends and family. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Musafir Stories. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can listen to us on the IVM podcast app or the website. Follow us on our social media. We are at IVM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you.